0: Welcome to Bradley's Micro Board Review, where we try to make your board's review for microbiology a little less painful. But, I mean, we're not magicians or anything. This still sucks. Cryptococcus species are fungi that prefer to grow in areas of high nitrogen, so they tend to be associated with bird and bat droppings. Patients who live in urban environments are then more prone to acquiring this infection. Transmission typically occurs when the patient inhales aerosolized yeast cells from the environment. Cryptococcus neoformans is the most common species and is found worldwide in pigeon droppings. Cryptococcus gattii is mostly found in the tropics and is weirdly associated with eucalyptus trees. This fungus has a very large polysaccharide capsule, so much so that it's often used to demonstrate how India ink staining works. It has the ability to change the antigens in the capsule to assume a more virulent form once inside the human. Speaking of changing forms, this fungi seems to be monomorphic, and we have only been able to find its yeast form. There are some instances in the lab where we were able to force the organism into a semi-reproductive state, but we've never found this form in nature. Therefore, the only reproduction that Cryptococcus species undergo is through narrow budding in the yeast form. One really interesting virulence factor is phenol oxidase, which is part of a pathway to create melanin and it breaks down dopamine and epinephrine. Melanin is an antioxidant, which means it will negate the effects of the reactive oxygen burst from immune cells. If the organism is in the CSF, the catecholamines might destroy the cell. However, the phenol oxidase that is produced would destroy the catecholamines, allowing the organism a bit more protection. Cryptococcus species also produce urease, which is a really weird thing to have for an organism that causes mainly pulmonary and CSF infections. We think the urease helps the fungi avoid destruction in the phagolysosome of macrophages. The urease will neutralize the pH in the phagolysosome and actually triggers the macrophage to spit the fungi back out without harming it. Patients who most often acquire cryptococcus species infections are patients who are immunocompromised, especially patients with AIDS. One fascinating fact is that prior to the pandemic explosion in the 1980s, the most common cryptococcus species was a different organism. After the 1980s, it changed to be cryptococcus neoformans and mainly affects AIDS patients. After transmission, this will typically cause pulmonary cryptococcus and cause a spectrum of disease from asymptomatic to bilateral fulminant pneumonia. This can cause lung nodule formation and mimic tuberculosis or cause cavitary lesions. It is highly likely to be fatal if the patient has symptoms and they are inappropriately treated. This can spread from the lungs into the bloodstream and filter into any bone causing osteomyelitis. It can also spread from the blood into the cerebrospinal fluid and filter into the brain, causing the formation of gelatinous pseudocysts, which cause the appearance of soap bubble brain on imaging. This is when it appears like several circular densities in the middle cerebral artery. This will cause the patient to present with the symptoms of meningoencephalitis and analysis of the CSF will have the typical findings of a fungal infection, mainly high lymphocyte percentage, low glucose, high protein, and high pressure. Diagnosis can occur via the rapid test that uses latex agglutination to detect a cryptococcus species capsular protein. Latex agglutination uses latex beads that are coated with antibodies specifically against the target antigen. The beads will bind up the antigen if it's present, causing the latex beads to clump together or agglutinate. This can be performed on the CSF or serum. As I mentioned earlier, you could take a sample and stain with India ink to easily visualize that gigantic capsule. If you take a tissue sample, it will often show many cysts in the lung and you can visualize the fungal cells within these cysts with silver staining, or you could use mucicarmine staining to see the capsules. Positive mucicarmine fungal cells is specific for Cryptococcus species. You can also culture any sample on Sabouraud's agar, but it will take a few weeks to produce growth. The majority of cases of symptomatic patients are from a reactivation of a latent lung nodule infection. Therefore, if you are aware of your patient's immunocompromised status, it is important to know if they have a lung nodule or not. If they do have a cryptococcal lung nodule, then you can give them fluconazole prophylactically to try to prevent a reactivation. Now, let's take all that knowledge and bring it to the boards. A 56-year-old female presents in Utah for a surgery to fix multiple broken leg bones acquired during a mechanical fall. While being admitted, she develops a temperature of 101.6 Fahrenheit. Physical examination and lung auscultation were normal. Serum white blood cell counts reveal a count of 8.4 times 10 to the 9 per liter. Chest radiography reveals a peripheral pulmonary solitary nodule. Transthoracic biopsy revealed encapsulated yeast forms. Repeated CD4 positive T cell counts are consistently under 200 cells per millimeter squared. Additional biochemical testing revealed that all the fungal cells produced melanin. What is the virulence factor responsible for the production of melanin? Is it A urease, B catalase, C ketone reductase, or D phenol oxidase. First, diagnose the patient. This patient is presenting with very mild symptoms in a long nodule. Biopsy reveals an encapsulated yeast form. CD4-positive T-cell numbers reveal a consistently immunocompromised state. Patients who are immunocompromised presenting with mild symptoms in lung nodules could have histoplasmosis, blastomycosis, coccidiomycosis, paracoccidiomycosis, aspergillosis, or pulmonary cryptococcus. The location of Utah eliminates histoplasmosis, blastomycosis, coccidiomycosis, and paracoccidiomycosis leaving you aspergillosis and pulmonary cryptococcus. It's amazing what knowing that geography will help you with in microbiology. So to distinguish between aspergillosis and pulmonary cryptococcus, we have to think about the histological findings. Both would have a patient presenting with mild pulmonary symptoms and could form lung nodules. However, there is no known yeast form for aspergillus species they would present as acute angle branching hyphae, even within the human tissue. Cryptococcus species only present in the yeast form. There is no hyphal form. So the most likely diagnosis is pulmonary cryptococcus, which most often presents with a spectrum of pulmonary symptoms from asymptomatic to bilateral fulminant failure. Most often it is associated with patients with AIDS. It is associated with pigeon droppings or urban environments, It can disseminate and cause osteomyelitis or meningoencephalitis. Meningoencephalitis will present with pseudocyst formation in the brain, causing the appearance of soap bubble brain. Choice A, urease, is an enzyme that cryptococcus species produce. However, it cleaves urea, causing the reduction of acidity. Cryptococcus species use this enzyme to escape from the phagolysosome. Choice B, catalase, is an enzyme that many bacteria and some fungi have that reduce the potency of reactive oxygen species. Choice C, ketone reductase, is an enzyme that species within the mucorales genre have. This helps them thrive in the acidic bloodstreams of people with ketoacidosis. They most often cause rhinocerebral mucomycosis, causing severe necrosis of the nasal cavity. Choice D, phenol oxidase, is the virulence factor that allows Cryptococcus species to produce melanin. It is the only fungi that can create melanin, and it uses it as an antioxidant to reduce the potency of reactive oxygen species. Therefore, the correct answer is D, phenol oxidase. You can find our study calendar, a guide on how to study microbiology specifically for the boards our contact email address, and references used to make this episode at thebradleylab.wordpress.com. If you found an error or would like to discuss any of this information, please leave us a voice message in the show notes. If you appreciated this episode, please subscribe and tell a friend. This podcast is now available on Apple Podcasts, and it would be a big help for us if you could submit a review. This podcast was written and edited by me, Jillian Bradley. See you tomorrow.